0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Paige.
1: And this is Chris.
0: And this is Animates. Uh, we are back again with our second episode covering the seminal cartoon Adventure Time.
1: Today, we are going to be talking about Adventure Times Seasons 3 and 4. This will, uh, we'll continue to do this as we go along, doing two um Seasons at a time, maybe three, I don't know, as we get into the later reaches of the show. But we're going to, unlike last time where we gave a introduction based on here's who wrote the show, here's who, you know, composers and voice actors and all that good stuff, we are first going to summarize where we left off, which at the end of season two... We get our first introduction of the ultimate villain of the show, which is the Lich, a evil force that corrupts and kills and is also voiced by Ron Perlman.
0: <laughs> An incredible voice performance from Ron Perlman. Just like so just creepy and, and great. Um So a little bit about the Lich. Um, We don't really know at this point anything about the Lich other than that it is evil. That he, I don't know, the Lich is is a very evil creature who represents an existential threat to the world at large. So that's the information that we have.
1: We know that... (coughs) the lich has been trapped for a while so i I don't know we know that princess bubblegum is somewhat related to mitigating this particular threat but he's released because uh the lich takes over a snail and the snail breaks him out of an amber prison and at the end of this battle between them princess bubblegum is wounded and she ends up Not having enough biomass to grow back to her adult stage. So she just becomes a a 13-year-old girl, which... Yeah.
0: There's this, like, unsettling stage in between for one episode where she looks fine, but she's, like, being possessed by the Lich. And then as the result of getting the Lich to stop possess her, stop possessing her, is when she loses her biomass.
1: So she, she reverts to being a 13-year-old girl and and that leads to a variety of effects. One of those being that Finn is like, oh, hey. Uh, another <laughs> Not be-
0: too old for me anymore.
1: Another being that Princess Bubblegum is deemed no longer fit to rule. She's not old enough to. She's not 18 anymore. So... This ends up introducing one of uh, my favorite characters, not because he's a good character, but because he's just so fucking, uh, it's just very, he's a very Adventure Time character. And that character is the Earl of Lemongrab.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so to be clear, the the reason this happens is because of some kind of like law that princess bubblegum herself put in place. And she created the Earl of lemon Grubs specifically for this type of eventuality. So he's like, he's not tiny. Like most of the other candy people. He's, he's tall like princess bubblegum and he has a lemon head and he is voiced by uh, the inimitable Justin Roiland.
1: Oh really? I thought he was voiced by Dan Harmon.
0: No, it's Justin Roiland. Justin Roiland, like also, like Dan Harmon doesn't really do voice acting. Uh, Justin Roiland voices Lemon Grab and all of the other Lemon Grab type creatures, as well as both Rick and Morty and a variety of the other voices on Rick and Morty.
1: Okay, so that, okay, 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 okay. See, I, I, I was confusing Roiland for Harmon. I don't know why I did that, but that's what I did. That was my mistake.
0: Oh, okay, okay, makes sense.
1: Lemon grab is clinically insane. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it's obvious from the beginning.
1: So he's 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 sort of like a he He's just He's wrong. He's just wrong. Like There's
0: something not right with Lemon Grab.
1: <laughs> and it never <clears throat> It never really gets fixed and eventually they have to Princess Bubblegum has to create another lemon grab to satisfy the first lemon grab's desire to have subjects or the desire to meet their basic social needs. Um, yeah,
0: that's the thing that happens in season four. And I think that episode's also really interesting. Um, so, like, when we first get introduced to him, basically, he's immediately just like, he's no fun and he throws everyone in the dungeon all the time. You know, the phrase is like, one million years dungeon, you know, and like, the screechy scream of acceptable Um, One million
1: million years dungeon!
0: Dungeon, all of you, seven years dungeon, no trials.
1: (laughs) Okay, it it, like, I I do have to admit, the humor that I derive from his performances, they're it's just because they're so fucking wacky. Like,
0: yeah, they definitely, I think, allowed Justin Roiland a lot of like the humor of his performances is drawn from improvisation, and they definitely gave him some room to run with Lemon Grab.
1: So, I um eventually some of my favorite moments in the show late in later seasons are due to Lemon Grab, um, or or things that are Lemon Grab adjacent,
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure um so what happens with that is that uh finn and uh pb baby pb are basically try and prank him into oblivion um in order to get him to stop being in charge because he's making everyone miserable it doesn't work he throws him in the dungeon and so pb basically reveals that she like could have gotten her biomass back this whole time she just liked being 13 again so she gets like pieces all of the other candy people like break off pieces of themselves and like finn like licks them to stick them together and they make her this like weird candy crown and uh the the energy from a whopping love hug is what uh catalyzes the reaction and turns her back into an 18 year old again
1: there's some metaphor there for the, like, the mm-hmm. body, the power of the monarch derives from the will of the people. Like, the people is basically, like, a social contract. Like, I don't think they meant it that way, but it's, like, a social contract metaphor.
0: Yeah, you can definitely read it that way because it's, like, PB, you don't really see that much of it yet in seasons one through four. But, like, she's not the best person. Um, she's definitely... She's got some flaws, but it's it becomes clear that her subjects would rather be ruled by her than by Lemongrab, and so they sort of, they consent to be governed by PB. Um, but it's really sad for Finn, because when she's 13, she's, like, really into him, and they're basically dating, and they hug and kiss, and she transforms back into an 18-year-old, and she's immediately just like, excuse me, Finn, and, like, pushes him off of her, and then at the end of the episode, <clears throat> Finn's like, I don't know, do you want to hug some more? And she's like, Oh, Finn, that was like five years ago. You have to move on. And I was like, I it was literally half an hour ago. And like, I really don't think that your like transformation back into an 18-year-old really made you feel like that was five years ago. <laughs> like, that's just cruel.
1: It is. Yeah, it it definitely seems <clears throat> that bubblegum's complete, like, lack of empathy developed in during her teenage years or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it does seem like that. I mean, there's a lot... We learn a lot more about her backstory much, much later in the show, and I don't want to bring too much of it in now, but I think this is one of the first times that it's sort of reveal. Is the Duke of Nuts episode in season three, or is that in season two?
1: Um... I'm pretty sure that's in season two.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess just to like swing back to season two real quick, the Duke of Nuts episode, I think also shows that she. Definitely like her, her sense of empathy is not well-developed. Like she is able to perform empathy and perform goodness But I don't know if she always actually feels it really, you know, Um, like with the Duke of Nuts, she's just like insists that he's a bad guy, but has never even bothered to ask him like why any of this is happening. And she's like insists that she's like, I would never forgive anyone who did this to me, you know, and the way that she treats Finn after she turns back into an 18 year old is all just like. I don't think she's intentionally being cruel. I think that she's just not actually able to, like, think about how these other people feel.
1: Nope. Nope. I don't think so either. Yeah. Um, as we go forward, uh, the season doesn't really introduce, like, seasons three and four do not introduce a whole slew of new characters. Like, as always, we get a ton of, so- like, brand new side characters mm-hmm. for example I can um tree trunks comes back and she has like a retinue of okay what happens to tree trunks is very funny I I feel like I should talk about it now because when tree trunks eats the crystal apple she explodes and you you think that she's dead but she's transported to the crystal dimension where she becomes a crystal monstrosity and she's (laughs) flanked she she has subjects who are in love with her crystal crystal people and they steal finn and try to turn men crystal (laughs) men and they they try to turn finn into a crystal man and they i mean they do but tree trunks comes like they save tree trunks from herself by causing her to vomit and tree trunks is around again and there's uh, the reason I bring up Tree Trunks is because she introduces one of these side characters, which is Mr. Pig. <laughs> um, Mr. Pig and Tree Trunks end up dating and there's a really excellent episode that is really dirty.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. That episode so is like, so good. So what it is, is that like the way the pig gets introduced is there's this whole like, you know, um crime mystery episode based on a big misunderstanding and mr P- the pig as he's called then is uh, basically in like some kind of debt bondage or something to a criminal gang that has him just like eat <laughs> their rifles um <clears throat> and so he escapes at the end of that and he's just like living in tree trunk's house but it turns out they're like they're really into each other um <clears throat> and, you know, Finn and Jake kind of help them get together. But then they're, they're just like, they're too publicly affectionate. They just like cannot like stop like kissing and hugging and like grinding and all kinds of other stuff in public. And it makes everybody else like super uncomfortable. Um. And like eventually, Finn and Jake force them to separate because they can't, they just can't keep their hands off each other. Um, and apparently the reason that they didn't want to do it in their own home is because, like, uh, unmarried man and woman living together is indecent, according to Tree Trunks. Um, so at the end of the episode, it makes everyone sad that, like, they're, they, the pig and Tree Trunks are sad to be apart and so they like let them get back together and the pig proposes and everything but it's hilarious because it's like they're essentially like they're essentially exhibitionists <laughs> like and it's like they can't stop being exhibitionists even though no one consents to be involved and it's making everyone else really uncomfortable
1: well and and i this is more than just an episode about pda like it is an episode about pda but they grind Butts and like that's one of the inflection points for people really being grossed out is they go in public and they bump butts just like over and over and over. And as an adult, I'm over here thinking that is just sex. <laughs> that is just sex, especially because, OK, quadrupedal animals like You know? Their genitals are in different places. A.K.A. Mm -hmm. at the back. Yeah. So, they're literally just reverse fucking. And... (laughs) I don't... the, the, The displays of affection are so effusive that it's really hard as an adult to see it as anything else. For me. Maybe my mind was just super dirty. But I more than that i i believe that the creators the writers of that episode knew that had to be their intention
0: yeah i didn't necessarily see it as like like literal sex but i did see it as like more than just kissing you know it's like clearly like they're they're doing you know a child friendly equivalent of like heavy petting you know okay I mean, yeah. I
1: don't think they were literally fucking, but I but I mm-hmm. but I I think like they were very they were fucking adjacent.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> and it's also to me, there's like a little bit more like discomfort to that episode, given that the pig was voiced by Louis C.K. and everything that has become extremely public in the years since that episode was produced about Louis CK and the particular way in which he um sexually abused women.
1: Yeah, so that that episode is uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, it's definitely just like there is a fun song that they sing though. <laughs> I do like the song. It's been stuck in my head for like a week.
1: <laughs> Remind me what song that is?
0: Dream of love. <laughs>
1: So they, they're, that's when they're separated and they're, like, yeah. <laughs> crooning to the moon.
0: Yeah, like when the pig falls down on his knees and he's like, but I'm still loving you, girl. <laughs> that part, it gets stuck in my head.
1: <laughs> uh, so, Tree Trunks comes back. Lemon, mm-hmm. The Earl of Lemongrab is introduced. We mm-hmm. become more familiar with Jake and Finn's family situation we don't meet his dad their their dad in person we only get we only yeah he's dead we only get dreams and holograms and other vestiges of a life once lived
0: and god he seems like a fucking dick
1: he's really he's they play it off in the show as being just a part of the weird, like, I think I said in last episode that the show has a way of treating things that should be treated with reverence and in the next breath shitting on it in some way or making it less important or invalidated in some way. And I feel like their dad is very much that where a lot of people would like to think of fathers as being paternal and protecting and, and warm, but (laughs) their dad who they seem to care about a lot is very hard on Finn. And it's played off as the typical, in order for you to become a strong person, I need to be strong with you. -hmm. Like typical, we call that in the business an authoritarian parenting style.
0: Yeah, I um, what is what is their dad's name? He has a name, and I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember it. Like I can remember scenes where it's said, and I just can't remember it right now. But and so it's like the episode where we really actually begin to. I, I think he's appeared briefly in dreams, maybe prior to this, but when they uncover like a hologram message that their dad has made a dungeon for them. And as the prize is like the family sword that he made from demons blood. Then um, <laughs> periodically the demon appears and is like, give me back my blood. Come on, dude, we go way back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but throughout that episode, Their dad is encouraging fake to keep secrets from Finn, and their dad is trying to man Finn up. And in that sense, I think he's supposed to be a caricature. I think it's it's pretty evident that that is not supposed to be agreed with. But nonetheless, their dad is a dick. And in the the
0: thing that to me like like I I struggle with with that episode is that like. It's really upsetting because he's basically, like, in the hologram, like, telling Finn, like, what a whiny crybaby he is and telling Jake to do it, too. And, like, Jake knows it's wrong and he feels uncomfortable with it and it makes Finn sad. But the resolution is for Jake to be like, dad loves you and to kind of, like, create a mix, you know, of uh, the words that are actually in the hologram that make it sound like he's saying loving and encouraging messages. But there's nothing in the actual hall. Huh? like, he eventually says, like, to Finn, like, I love you, you know, or whatever, actually. But he never, like, explains himself or apologizes or says, like, I was only doing this to do, like, and Finn and Jake seem to be able to just, like, recover and move on from that. And that, to me, I really struggled with that. Because it's, like, the dad never, like, even, he never acknowledged, like, to Finn what it was that he was doing or, or what his motivation was for that. And it's just, that one was difficult for me.
1: So even, I don't know, I, I think a theme of the show becomes bad parenting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, they're, Finn and Jake's dog parents are not really good parents. Finn's actual parents, when we meet them, are not good parents. Jake has another parent figure that we meet much later who is not a good parent.
1: The only only example that stands in contrast to that are uh, Jake and Lady Rainicorn.
0: And Jake's not really a good parent either.
1: No, he's not.
0: And Jake's kids aren't good parents. Kim Kilwan is not a good parent.
1: Okay, no, you're right. I Yeah. Is that the one voiced by Kristen Shaw? Uh
0: no, that's Jake Jr. Um Kim Kilwan is like we're getting into stuff that's a little, but he's the one who's like a businessman. Oh and yeah, tries, yeah, yeah, yeah. He also tries to parent Jake and does a bad job of it in addition to trying to parent his own child who he has during the course of the show and is not succeeding. Marceline's dad, also a bad parent. Yeah, just, I don't know. We, much, much later in the show, we briefly see Marceline's mom and we, because we only briefly see her, we have no evidence to suggest that she was a bad parent. But, yeah, there aren't really, there aren't really good parents. and Like, maybe Lady Radicorn is, like, an alright parent.
1: Yeah, I guess you could argue that Bubblegum is a bad mom to Goliad. For sure. Uh, Yeah, I I think it does in a weird way. It does seem that the show communicates that you can't rely on your parents. It's interesting. Parents are not uniformly to be relied upon.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things like that's something that's like very common on the internet. That's something that I struggle with, like as a person with good parents and a good relationship to my parents that I feel like sometimes people take it too far it, because like they had a bad relationship with their own parents and they hate their parents. And so like anytime you see like it's really common on like Reddit advice forums where someone will be like, I had this bad interaction with my parents. And the comment section will be just like, your parents are awful. They don't respect you or your boundaries. You should go no contact with them. Blood means nothing. Family who you choose. And it's like, wait, they just had this one bad interaction with their parents. Like, I'm sorry that your relationship with your parents is irreparably broken. But most people's parents actually do give a shit and try, you know, and it almost it almost feels like Adventure Time is kind of doing the same thing where it's like there are no parents who can be relied upon or trusted or really helpful in any way and all their kids are just kind of like on their own and have to deal with the consequences of their like shitty and destructive parents.
1: It. I wonder if that is partially a consequence that the show doesn't stop at parents. It pretty much aside from the relationships that Finn and Jake build with a couple of people, generally speaking, the denizens of Ooh at the very least are like chaotic neutral and people. Ooh is, Ooh is a very unpredictable chaotic place where people's interpersonal styles are erratic just all over the place. And there are a lot of very bad people that hurt people for no reason. So I wonder if that's a consequence of the show's general style to how people behave in Ooh and not just like about the parents, but about everyone.
0: Yeah. And also maybe just also about authority figures, because we really only see two like, good and reliable authority figures i think throughout the show and like this might bring us into some other stuff to talk about and one is the king of mars who immediately sacrifices himself so like and it seems like he'd been a good ruler and he like sacrifices himself which also shows like his reliability and then much much later in the show um so we shouldn't talk about it too too much flame princess i think is a good ruler Um, But other than that, all other authority figures are in some way, like, unreliable or untrustworthy or destructive.
1: I do have to say that was a huge shocker when I went to college. I discovered for the first time that there are people that hated their parents. And I went to school with people who, like, high school with people who they didn't, they didn't have a great relationship with their parents or they didn't like their parents but there wasn't animosity and when I went to school I was just like does everybody fucking hate their parents this is so weird to me because I've always had a great relationship with mine and I thought yeah,
0: I, I, and it's just one of those things that maybe people like us who have been fortunate enough to have parents that we have a good relationship with it's just baffling to us and something that we just can't understand
1: yeah I definitely there I definitely understand some people's issues like particularly ones that center around lgbt stuff Mm -hmm. like their parents just like not accepting who who they are on a fundamental level i'm like okay yeah that's probably a good that's probably a good time to bow out if if they just refuse to you know acknowledge you but other times i i don't know i'm always curious how that happens because it's never happened to me so
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, I believe you that it happened, but it just seems bizarre to me that your mom would do that. You know,
1: as a side note with the Reddit thing, um, people are the same way with interpersonal relationships where they're very, it's a, it's a meme in those sub, like people are aware that it happens. So at least there's some self-awareness, but people joke about, Oh well, everybody in those threads is just like dump them. That's everybody's first reaction. Is just dump them, get rid of them. They're a lot like the moment anybody makes a mistake or does something wrong, it's it's just dump them.
0: Yeah, it means that they're like an irredeemable person who is like. Like, I was just talking about, Blake, with this this morning. Like, someone making a mistake or, like, doing something wrong or telling a lie means that, like, they're an irredeemable person, that you should be concerned that they're also lying to you about everything else in your entire life. And also, like, every just, like, small, you know, bad action means that your partner is abusing you. And that one really frustrate. Like, as a person who has actually been emotionally abused by multiple people – it really frustrates me how it's just like every mistake, every bad action, every conflict means like the partner is abusing them. Like no, that's like that's not what that means.
1: It it is it is weird how people on the internet just seem very they 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 are incredibly ready to see one self-reported hearsay argument. And apply it to an unknown person's entire personality.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's insane.
1: (laughs) It is is the definition of just bad. Bad advice. Yeah, for sure. Flame Princess is the other character that we really get introduced into this season. And Flame Princess, as you might imagine, is Princess of the Flame Kingdom. But she's a little bit different than all the other princesses that we have seen so far. So in that respect, she is... She adds some heat to God the... God
0: damn it, Chris. She adds
1: some heat to the, pr- the princess lineup.
0: Yeah. Um. So the way that she gets introduced is that Finn is being very sad about Bubblegum. She's He's still trying to, like... He's still he's still trying to fuck, I guess. Um, and Bubblegum just isn't into it. And it just is making him really sad, and he sings a sad song about it. And Jake is like, I gotta the best way for Finn to move on is to find an age appropriate princess to go on some dates with. And that'll make him feel better. So he goes on a quest to do that. And he finds out that there's this flame princess. In the, in the Fire Kingdom or Flame Kingdom or whatever it is. And her dad keeps her, like, locked inside a lamp, like an oil lamp. And so he goes and courts her on Finn's behalf without his knowledge. <laughs> and she's released from her lamp, and there immediately begets a long series of misunderstandings um, between her and Finn.
1: I do... I, I love that episode because it's a great I think personally that it is a great allegory for it it, it takes the idea that people misunderstand each other because they are it, they come from very innately different places and it expands it to like their very being so because Flame Princess is a fire elemental fire is a part of her and fire, she sees fire as beautiful. And even when it destroys things, when people try to put flames out, it hurts her. So she believes that anybody who is trying to put out fires to save their home is hurting her. And it, and it does in fact like physically cause her pain.
0: And she believes that it's intentional, that they're intentionally trying to hurt her.
1: So I, I love this. I I really loved that approach to trying to understand how two different, very different kinds of people can see the same actions so differently because it relates directly to who they are as a as a as a person. And eventually, yeah, the way that she pushes through it is she has to develop a new she basically has to develop she has schemas, so ways that she expects the world to work. She's an elemental. So she sees... Her her thinking is very essentialist. Like, what you are is what you are. Like, I am of fire. So when she sees humans or other things that don't quite fit into that, she has trouble understanding them. But at the very end, she... She chooses... No, I would say she chooses to see... Instead of understanding Finn as this chaotic thing that is trying to hurt her, she's like, oh, wait, no. You are a water elemental. Right? So she changes you cry his, and
0: cry all the time.
1: <laughs> she changes his nature to be in line with her expert. Like, of course that's why you're trying to put out my fires. Like, it's not malicious. That's just who you are. So by mm-hmm. essentializing this... Behavior, she is able to apply this elemental schema to Finn, and is thus able to better attempt to understand him. Um, it's very creative as a method to like solve an interpersonal conflict.
0: Yeah, it's 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 fun, and like Finn is just like really into her. Like he finds her just like fascinating basically. And so, after that, like, for a while, she's like, no, obviously, like, if you if I'm a fire elemental and you're a water elemental, all we can do is hurt each other, so we can't, like, be together. But they end up finding a way around it, and so she's she becomes Finn's girlfriend for seasons three and four, and um, she's still his girlfriend at the end of season four. And there's this whole episode where we find out, like, Princess Bubblegum finds out that they're dating and that they're they're about to go to, like, tier two and, and smooch, right? And she, like, freaks out and is trying to prevent it from happening. And Jake and Finn both assume that it's jealousy and that she's, like, attempting to manipulate Finn. And so they react in that way. And Finn, like, really stands up to her. Like, even though he was misguided in his understanding, like... It's admirable in the way that he's like, I like you broke my heart. I like was in so much pain over you. And now I've finally been able to move on. And like now you want me. Like that's cruel. Stop behaving that way. But it turns out that Bubblegum made the Flame King keep Flame Princess locked up because according to Princess Bubblegum's uh measurements flame princesses elemental core was unstable and she was unable to handle extreme romance
1: it definitely places uh, this is uh, a classic example of how bubblegum is just brutally utilitarian this thing could destroy the world, so fuck her, I'm in a trapper, yeah, it's it, so fucked up. it's so fucked up. But you kind of get it,
0: yeah, exactly because it's like, okay. So you have this creature, and basically, all of your calculations suggest that if anybody ever kisses her, she will burn so hot that she, like, melts right into the Earth's core and bounces back and forth until, the core of the planet like burns out and destroys the entire world. Um, So the best way to prevent that from happening is to make sure that no one ever kisses her. So she gets locked up forever, you know, and that's like, well, I mean, that's a good because you probably couldn't have prevented anyone from kissing her if she wasn't locked up in a lamp forever, you know. So that makes sense in a way. But it's also like, well, this this dangerous element is a person.
1: Right. You know? It's, I mean, it's a classic utilitarianism always poses, like, I always struggle with them because I'm always attempting to, well, I get it, but I like, it's wrong. Like, it's wrong and it's right at the same time. And it's hard to argue with the logic, but it's also like, why couldn't you have talked to Flame Princess and tried to figure out a solution? Like, it's wrong because Bubblegum definitely didn't try to do anything else.
0: Yeah, she was just like, all right, Flame King, you must keep her locked up in a lamp forever and that d- dusts her hands off, you know?
1: That's it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And um, it, it it's not something that comes really that much into play during seasons three and four, but you may be unsurprised to learn that Flame Princess does not particularly care for Princess Bubblegum. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it definitely creates a dynamic where Finn is still very much trying to sort out his feelings because he still likes Princess Bubblegum, but he also <laughs> likes Flame Princess. And it's it's a very relatable teenage boy situation to be I mean, teenage anyone situation to be in, really, where mm. you have a crush on someone and then you move on, but you still have that crush on that other person.
0: Yeah, and I think ultimately, like, in Season 3, Or at least like Finn handles it really well. Like after that sort of episode where they deal with that kind of jealousy and stuff, I Finn definitely seems to be making a real effort to heal and to because he also is in in some ways in the employ of Princess Bubblegum, um and like respects her as a ruler and acts as her knight, and so he seems to make real efforts to um transition his feelings and his part of their relationship to more, more purely friendship, you know?
1: I do definitely, it it is very refreshing as an observer of the show to see Finn have a relationship with somebody who reciprocates at least some of his feelings.
0: Yeah, definitely, like, The way that this show handles romantic relationships, I think, is, like, very mature and very healthy, you know? Like, all right, Finn has, like, an unreciprocated crush on Princess Bubblegum. She's much too old for him. It is painful. It causes conflict. It causes Finn great emotional distress. Eventually, he attempts to move on. He likes someone else. They are in a relationship that is reciprocal. That relationship does not last forever. They were 13. (laughs) Like, you know. (laughs) Um, But like when that relationship comes to an end, that's something that's in the future that we can talk more about. Like when that relationship comes to an end, it causes conflict. It causes emotional distress. Eventually, they are both able to heal and have a friendship relationship. You know, it's like it just Finn doesn't have like a wife. By the time the series is over, which is good because he's 17 years old. Like a lot of other fantasy products like this would basically have Finn in a forever relationship by the time that the show is over. And it and it but it it doesn't show Finn just with he's hung up on Princess Bumblegum forever, or he finds Flame Princess and now they're together forever, or something like that. It shows a teenager experiencing like love, disappointment, conflict, dating multiple people in a way that is very normal and healthy.
1: It's weird to think how many fantasy properties use teenagers as main characters and then they get married. Now that I'm realizing it. It's so fucked up. Why why are so many hero stories the story of a fucking 17-year-old? Now that I think about it, if you want to pick a person in their prime, you should pick like a 25-year-old. That's when you are fully developed in both brain and body exactly. and have not yet started the inexorable climb into the grave.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah. I, it, that's weird. Maybe maybe all these authors want to be young again. Maybe they all want to be 17 again.
0: I think I think also with fantasy products specifically There has historically been, like, a big focus, uh, whether explicit or implicit, on innocence and purity, um, especially in, like, high fantasy products. Um, So, and the idea is that, like, a pure and innocent person is a person who is young. Like, the reason that their love and their romance in this story is also pure is because it's the first time. You know, uh, the reason that they're able to like be the chosen one or do all these right things is because they haven't been spoiled by the world, right?
1: Are you telling me that purity is tied to age, and that I not only—that's one of the things that I lost when I turned thirty?
0: No, purity's tied to fucking Chris. You lost that a long time ago.
1: That's true. That's true. <laughs> um so
0: now you're just impure and old
1: oh my god impure (laughs) and old that's gonna be my new podcast (sighs) stay stay tuned (laughs) all right so Um, flame princess lemon grab that that, i we don't really get a huge influx of people um other than that as we move through the show i think oh go ahead
0: Oh, sorry I was just thinking about like other maybe specific episodes that were relevant and like to other side characters and stuff in season 3 and 4 but it sounded like you were about to make a point so go ahead
1: well this kind of relates to to some character stories but the show definitely starts to become more it ramps up a couple things number one it ramps up building backstory it ramps up building into a plot that's going on in the foreground as well so in both senses it starts to expand what like the arc that is happening but also are like stuff that happened in the past and yeah. in addition it starts to tell way more the aesthetic of the show starts to dip more regularly into things that are very creepy and very disconcerting. Very serious. Like, Finn goes to hell. Finn goes to the nightosphere. Okay, yeah, I was is,
0: like, wait, what if we decides hell? It's the
1: nightosphere the Nytosphere, hell. The, the <laughs> nightosphere is definitely supposed to be hell. Like, they even oh, yeah. do the classic standing in line thing that hell does. Like, it's very Dante's inferno
0: yeah definitely and that episode is also really interesting because it does a lot of stuff again with parents and with authority figures and um with marceline specifically because basically what it seems that happens is that uh finn and jake experience some kind of head trauma or something and lose their memories so they can't figure out exactly how they got there or what was happening and that's revealed piecemeal over the episode but as it goes on they're just trying to navigate hell they're trying to navigate the nightosphere so they start out in prison and the the demon guard just like opens all the cells at one point he's like all right well my shift's over and the next guy didn't show up so I guess you guys are all free now (laughs) Um, and so they go out of the prison and it's just like, it's exactly what you would think hell would be, you know, all kinds of various monsters. And so they're like, we know who runs this place. We got to figure out what's going on. Let's go see Marceline's dad, AKA Hunts and Aberdeer. And they begin to experience a bureaucratic nightmare.
1: <laughs> immediately. It, it, it's great because they, the way that they deaf I don't know. I I always, Like where people play with an idea of hell. And I really usually see that in mature adult media, but I don't typically see it in children's media. But the idea that hell is both a place for grotesque horror, but also for banal horror, Mm -hmm. like the idea of standing in a line for weeks.
0: Days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like first they like basically climb down into this river where people are just waiting forever and then they like get to the front of the line and they get up out of it and they have to take a number Um, and the number they get is like 49 million and one or something and they're like oh my god I'm gonna lose my mind and then their number is called immediately and they're like woo and they run through the door and it's just another fucking line (laughs) like that they're at the back of that's also just stretching on forever and ever
1: that episode is also great because so one of the things, because of the mature storytelling, Marceline gets a, ver- a, a much greater focus in both of these seasons. Not in a ton of episodes, but the episodes she is in are all very dense.
0: Yeah, that for ep- sure.
1: That episode basically turns out that Marceline has taken over as the monarch of the nightosphere And in order to do that, we learn that Marceline's dad is not actually the... Eldritch horror that like he is, he's still a vampire and he's still very terrifying, but his huge demonic form and its power are not actually him alone. We learned that the leader of the nightosphere wears an amulet that is infused with chaotic evil mm-hmm. and it basically transforms whoever holds it into the creature that we see him be on numerous occasions. Marceline essentially is tricked into taking the burdens of her father and it poisons her. Like it corrupts, it, the amulet corrupts whoever wears it. So there's this nice, Marceline is trying to build a relationship with her father. Like they, mm-hmm. they reconcile after the fries thing. And yeah. then he <laughs> immediately follows it up. By tricking her into accepting his corrupting burdens. What yeah, the fuck? Yeah, and it's like,
0: it's, okay, so the funny part is, like, apparently his suit comes from the amulet. he takes it off, he's immediately in, like, a beater of or- boxers, which is funny. Um, but, like, basically, Finn and Jake, like, they go in to talk to him about it, and they're like, dude, Marceline's dad, they call him Marceline's dad, Marceline's dad, what the fuck? You can't like. You need to take that amulet offer, and I can't remember the exact exact quote, but it's something to the effect of, "He's like, no, you don't understand that. Uh, that amulet fills the wear with a spirit of chaotic evil, which is how I grew up. So, <laughs> you know, like that's just like that could not be more blatant about the commentary about parenting that they're making there.
1: And eventually, man, they they do manage to save her. And he does take the amulet back, but...
0: He, like, show, he shows, like, a level of, like, concern and empathy for other people, and particularly his daughter, that, like, sh- like that does that thing we talked about with, um, with Renaissance cartoons, is people are able to actually learn and grow and change, and those changes can be permanent. Uh, and, and what happens is that, basically, in order to save her, Finn ends up putting on the amulet himself. Um, and basically her dad, and it's overtaking him and his dad, like Marceline's dad ends up like yanking it off of him and like pushing him back through the portal and basically being like, by the way, Marcy, like your friends are welcome here anytime, you know?
1: So it ends up being wholesome. We do get to see her dad change a little bit.
0: Yeah, just the, just the tiniest, tiniest bit into just being in any way acceptable, as a person or parent
1: Which is actually weird because Marceline does have a person who I almost see more as her father. We learn mm-hmm. we learn the Ice King's origin through these seasons. We learn that he used to be a person and yes. his story is very sad and it's,
0: it's really fucking sad.
1: The the long and the skinny of it is he was a normal person before the world ended which this confirms that this confirms more than anything else blatantly that there was the real world before ooh mm-hmm. he was corrupted by the ice crown and it has made him into the ice king by driving him mad yeah and he cared for Marceline in the days after the world ended we look like we get hints we don't see their full story but we know that he protected her and it's a very emotional episode because he comes to Marceline's and Marceline seems really really upset that he's around but not because she's annoyed by him but because she
0: it's almost like in the way that if you have a parent in the early stages of dementia that you would feel frustration and annoyance.
1: Their presence causes you pain, not because you, not because you don't love them, but precisely because you love them, mm-hmm. and you're watching them be somebody else.
0: Be crazy, you know. And that's the way she puts it. And just to just to cut in a little bit, at the point that this episode happens, which is the more. Emotional of these two episodes. We've already had the Simon reveal. Um, It was in an episode. Where. Basically Finn and Jake find like the ice King's secret tapes. And they assume there's evil stuff on them. But they finally get to the point where it's. It's the ice King's diary from before. He was driven insane. And they see just like fragments that document. The way that the crown corrupts him. and, And drives him insane. And he mentions. Uh, my Betty, my princess, my fiance. And that gives like an explanation as to why he's obsessed with princesses, you know? And so it's very, that in and of itself, like just those few minutes are very emotional and you learn a lot about the ice King slash Simon there. And so that's something you already know by the time this episode with Marceline happens.
1: So the ice King has a sad backstory. Marceline Mm -hmm. has a sad backstory. They yeah. both have sad backstories together, and they it, it's expanded on in later seasons, but it definitely poses an interesting quandary about the Ice King's problematic behavior. We know for a fact that he's mad, but—and yet he still tries to—like, th- I feel like that marks the—that and some of the other episodes in the third and fourth season— they mark the line between seeing the Ice King as an antagonist and seeing him as a frenemy.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: He... You start to see that, like, for the most part, he's pretty... He's not harmless. He is violating the agency of princesses. (laughs) Um, But you also start to see them interact more, at the very least, neutrally with the Ice King. And Finn... Finn has a moment of awareness where he he basically says, we can spend Christmas together with yes. the like He starts to see, because of these videos, Jake really shows his limitations when he doesn't understand why that matters. But Finn knows why it matters. He's a good person. Mm-hmm. So Finn... Finn comes to understand the Ice King better, and it allows them to... They still fight the Ice King when he's doing problematic stuff, but...
0: They still hold him accountable for his actions. Right, but they definitely
1: stop seeing him as just, like, unabashedly evil.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things that also, like, the Ice King's desperation to be friends with Finn and Jake... Once you learn those things, transitions from funny and pathetic to incredibly fucking heartbreaking. Like, it becomes hard to laugh at episodes where, like, the Ice King is trying to be friends with them desperately and they become really sad.
1: So that's great. Yeah. That's great. I remember watching that episode at at first night was very taken by surprise. Yeah. I didn't expect it to be that episode with Marceline is like watch she is essentially watching her surrogate father go go crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that it's it literally could not be a more apt metaphor, you know, Marceline and Ice King for watching a parent suffer from Alzheimer's, you know? It's pretty much exactly the same.
1: So that's fun. Put that in your child show.
0: Yeah, it's not. It doesn't make you want to cry at all. Uh,
1: Another like another piece of evidence that the storytelling starts to become more mature is we start to get an idea of how Marceline reacts to bubblegum. And this pairing seems very weird at first, but they get introduced in an episode where they adore Lord, which, by the way, is a reference to Time Lord from Doctor Who.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So a door lord, which is just this thing that runs around creating doors, steals a bunch of shit from Bubblegum, Jake, Finn, and Marceline. And so they chase the door lord as a group, and eventually they have to open a door by singing to it, and the group has to try to create a song together, and like many bands before them, have creative differences, but... (laughs) we get to see the tension that occurs between Marceline and Bubblegum and it's this really nice it hints that they have a previous relationship, not romantic necessarily, but definitely close that they're very different examples of like women like different types of women and different ways that women, so one is dark and brooding heavy metal well not heavy metal but i mean you've got marceline and Mm -hmm. by now we know that marceline is very honest abrasive emotional and bubblegum is controlling sterile not (sighs) sterile's not the right word but she is controlling
0: and controlled
1: yeah controlling and controlled um very stubborn, I mean, they're both very stubborn, but mm-hmm. they're she is also more prim. She's pink for God's sake, and represents mm-hmm. the perfect version of like the the queen feminine but also very stiff. and they clash over their expectations of each other. And eventually, Mm -hmm. we get to, like, that doesn't just say conflict, we get to see that mature into them actually, Bubblegum turns out to be the person who capitulates the most.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, also in this episode, we get, like, in my opinion, the dopest song in all of Adventure Time, sung by Marceline, I'm Just Your Problem. Uh, And... It turned like I think sort of the sweetest part of the episode though is when they get all of their stuff back. One, Marceline wasn't even missing anything. She just wanted to hang out. Um, and two, what Princess Bubblegum was missing was a some sort of like rock band tee or something. And Marceline was like, I thought you hated it, you never wore it. And PB's is like, I wear it all the time as pajamas.
1: Yeah. Marceline you know. gave her a shirt. Yeah. So. A t-shirt
0: that is now one of the most important things to PB. Like, because the thing is like what the door Lord stole for them were things that were emotionally very important to them. Uh, for Finn, it was a piece of Bubblegum's hair. For Jake, I think it was a sandwich. <laughs> And then for PB, it was this t-shirt that was given to her by Marceline. Paige, Hmm.
1: are they friends or are they more than that?
0: They're totally just gal pals.
1: They're totally just good friends, guys.
0: Just gal pals. Definitely Uh, not gay.
1: Definitely not gay. In my children's cartoon... No. (laughs) Oh, man. The... Yeah. The storytelling interpersonally, as we said, is becoming more complex, but also the arc stuff at the very end of season three, the conflict with the Lich really takes a very, very, very dark turn. And the, the episode itself is definitely very dark fantasy. It's not... That episode in tone immediately from the beginning, there's not music really like the 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 music is very not there for a while. And things feel very the stakes are very high. We learned that the Enchiridion is a very important object that by putting all the gems of power held by the princesses into the Enchiridion, it, beca- it becomes a portal to other dimensions. We learned that there are other dimensions and Billy is essentially like Billy tells them we have to stop the Lich by collecting all these gems. And before this, (laughs) Finn has had a dream about Billy being attacked by the Lich. The Lich uses the snail, gets close to Billy and attacks him. And it's supposed to just be a dream. But no, like the episode is essentially Finn gets tricked into collecting all the gems because he believes he's helping his hero. This episode really shows us that Finn is a child. Yes. Yes. Finn is a kid. And normally the world makes that less apparent because the world is so nuts. The world is essentially full of children in a way. But the moment that true adult-level evil chooses to manipulate a child, it just happens. It happens as you would expect it to. Finn is just completely not equipped to detect subterfuge.
0: No, because he's 13 years old and he doesn't have anybody to teach him that people might not be honest with him that people might not have good intentions that people might try to trick him that people that he respects might not be what they seem you know
1: and so eventually he does like they managed to collect everything and bubblegum is just like dude what the fuck are you doing that is not billy that is the lich how she knew that is still very weird to me.
0: Yeah, it's not, there's no explanation for it. Like, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, she just did, deal with it.
1: (laughs) I think she probably, I mean, she's a genius, and she probably inferred that there's no other reason for him to be stealing the gems.
0: Yeah. I will say there is one, like, really good joke in that episode, which is, like, all of the gems are in these princesses' crowns, And so they go to LSP and she has the star in her forehead. They're like, is that even a gem? And they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. And so they start to like pull it out and they're just like pulling it out forever. They're like, oh my God, it's so deep. So it's like her star is something that can come out of her head, but it's like three inches long, right? And then when they go and like put all of the gems in the Enchiridion, her star just kind of like falls to the side. It wasn't one of them. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So um, another great moment in that episode that's very fun is when Bubblegum is in her room late at night and Finn is sneaking in to steal her gem. Bubblegum is sitting over this little sandbox where these little candy, these little candy men are playing around and bubblegum is taking notes on their interactions and then she like is cutting their legs off and sticking their legs to other ones of the candy men and the candy men don't show any pain they just are always smiling and it's very, it's i i he has always no la-
0: expression at all what was happening it's hilarious it's so disturbing and so funny
1: it's it's a great moment i love i every time i see that i love that moment
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so basically what happens is, like, at the very end of this episode, like, a portal is – so what the Lich wants to do is he wants to open a portal to the dimension of, like, the interdimensional wish-being Prismo. And at the end of the episode, he opens a portal, like, people get sucked through the portal, and suddenly we have, like, we just cut to this other, like, dimension – where it's Finn, but he has a nose, and the world is just normal, and he's playing his flute, and somebody calls him for dinner, and he says he'll be there, mom, and then he's like, come on, Jake, and Jake is just a normal dog. Uh, and then it's the end of the season.
1: And Finn is missing an arm.
0: Mm. Oh, yes, and he is missing, he has a mechanical arm. He has a mechanical arm. So, another yeah. arm- arm flash forward also in season three is the king worm episode that i'm thinking about (laughs) he sees he sees a vision not only of himself missing an arm but actually himself in that alternate dimension specifically it looks exactly the same as himself in that alternate dimension that we see right at the end of season four
1: in addition to that finn Basically, the wish, the, the Lich wished for the end of all life in the universe. And Finn... Well, wished... that doesn't
0: happen until season five. That's well, in the beginning of season five.
1: What we see... Do they not address that in that... No. They Fuck. don't.
0: They don't. They just show it and then...
1: Okay. I. Yeah, I it's over. I, and they're I, like,
0: what the fuck's going on? You don't know. Wait for season five.
1: Yeah. So there's a reason. Um... <laughs> But... The King Worm episode is great, but the better episode about memories is an episode with Marceline, and you learn that she used to date some dude, and Finn has to go in and rescue a memory from Marceline's subconscious, and we get to see her past. We get to see her dad eating her fries, and we get to see her dating this dickhead. And eventually we learn that the dickhead wanted to get Finn to steal the memory of their breakup. It's a very good episode, but it's also one of the skeeviest characters in the whole show is there.
0: Yeah, he's like, he's very rarely in the show, um, but he's just like the biggest fucking creep that you could ever interact with. Like, he's... A piece of shit terrible boyfriend who treats Marceline like shit and essentially in a way like like that's like a type of assault like the fact that he like sends people in to touch all over her memories and make her forget that she broke up with his sorry ass it's just like ugh, makes me feel icky
1: luckily Finn saves Marceline and also sings the best song in the whole show. I'm a buff baby who can dance like a man. I can shake him f- fanny,
0: fanny, I can, I can shake, shake him my, my can. can.
1: <laughs> we get to see Finn as a baby in Finn's memories. <laughs> and that okay, the reason that that's important is because that song shows up later when Finn Princess Bubblegum, being the maniacal scientist that she is, creates a a Sphinx clone of herself that she's training to rule in her place. And the Sphinx can read minds and it becomes a sociopath because it learns really bad lessons from Jake. (laughs) And they have to fight the Sphinx and the Sphinx tries to read Finn's mind and so he's trying to think of things other than the plan. And one of the things that he starts to think about, he imagines first himself as a baby. So it's just one of him singing that song. And then he he, he thinks of like 20 versions of that baby singing the song in unison. And it's so fucking funny.
0: Yeah, it's hilarious. But. I, I love it. Um, also, that also is another one of those things that's like, we've mentioned a lot of the things that just like show that Princess Bubblegum maybe isn't like the best person. And that's another one because she creates another Candy Sphinx to like basically enter into psychic battle with Goliad for all time to prevent her from destroying everything. And this one's named Stormo. And... Finn was like, well, if you made them both, why are they... Why is Stormo good? And uh, Princess Bubblegum is like, oh, I used... Instead of my DNA, like I used for Goliath, I used your heroic DNA for Stormo, and that's why he's good.
1: So, basically, anything that Bubblegum makes is, like, too smart for their own good and becomes sociopathic.
0: Yeah. For sure. So... I don't know. Um, that's I, a that's a good one.
1: <laughs> that, that's a great episode. I think overall, the only other big thing that I wanted to mention is that Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, is the King of Mars. Yes. King the of actual... Mars is the
0: statue of Abraham Lincoln.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. The actual, like, but it implies that it's actually Lincoln.
0: Yeah, it's like implied that, like... So it's the statue of Lincoln from the Lincoln Memorial is somehow probably got blown there during the Great Mushroom War or something. But it implies that it's like imbued with the spirit of the actual Abraham Lincoln and that he's like a very wise super being.
1: So the Martians are a group of people that are very smart. We learned that the ma- the magic man gets a backstory. The magic man. Also, is- we
0: meet God. Glob. Yeah. Glob. It's like glob grod like like he has four faces and like like when they say what's supposed to be god they don't always say glob they also say like gob and grod and other things and so it's like there's this guy with four faces and he's all of those and it's like he's he's god on Ooh, but he's not even in charge on Mars
1: No he's just he's just powerful He's just yeah. some rando. But the magic man is a Martian. And he was sent to Ooh to do penance for causing havoc on Mars. Really funny havoc. And it turns out that, like, it's implied that the magic man used to love somebody. And that person died or was taken away from him. And it caused him to go crazy. So there's a lot of... Dudes losing their loved ones and then going crazy in this show.
0: Yes, definitely. And it's not sexist because later we see like a woman who loses a loved one and goes crazy. So it's not just only men that it happens to.
1: Yeah, and the magic... That episode is great. The magic man turns the deer into a... Okay, so the deer is in season three, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. So a deer attacks the candy kingdom and traps all the candy people by licking them and sticking them to places. The deer is not just a deer. He stands on two legs. He takes off his front hooves and revealing tiny little creepy hands. It's the most fucking unsettling thing I've ever seen in my life. The deer is amazing. But the deer Uh. shows up later and the magic man turns him into a periscope. So. Oh, is it the
0: same deer? I just thought it was a deer. It
1: definitely is the same deer. Oh my God. But the magic man. um, The magic man tricks the Martians into kidnapping Jake. And so eventually Finn has to go to Mars to save him. Jake accidentally gets killed. And Finn accuses Lincoln of not being the super being that he is, like not being the moral authority. And so Lincoln says, I will get him back. Lincoln goes to speak to death. And Lincoln says, I wish to trade in my immortality for Finn. Or for Jake. Or for Jake. And, And at first, death is like not this time.
0: <laughs> and you're and, like, how many times has Lincoln brought people back from the dead?
1: And and so death accepts their deal and as the scene fades to black, there's a gunshot.
0: Yes, oh my god.
1: What? That yeah, moment guess, always freaked me. I'm just like whoa.
0: Yeah, crazy craziness. You're like, okay, clearly the Ford Theater, I guess. You know, like what else would it be? But also Jesus Christ.
1: It it definitely is a very unexpected part of the show. I did not expect them to literally directly reference Abraham Lincoln's death by gunshot.
0: Yeah, no, that was unexpected for sure.
1: So that episode is great. The magic man is still a dick, not redeemed like the Ice King is.
0: No, he's still a fucking dick. Like we still don't know what his deal is. He's still a dick with just like no empathy for other people at all.
1: But, but yeah, I mean, again, all of these very complex stories being woven into line along with episodes that are fucking crazy. Bemo also becomes a character in these seasons. Bemo gets the episode, the noir episode. Oh my god, it's so much fun. <laughs> Lorraine oh Bemo I didn't know you were here Bemo runs around and voices a bunch of characters in a noir investigate like she's a detect he's a detective and mm-hmm. Bemo voices like a chicken a remote and he makes them into characters and he's pretend like he's pretending to be in love with a chicken named Lorraine. And Jake she is, is like, hot
0: like pizza supper.
1: Hot like pizza supper. <laughs> and then Jake is like, I didn't know our chicken stay was Lorraine. <laughs> that part is great. <laughs> so BMO starts to become a real character. And BMO is one of my favorites. Because innocent, funny, and profound. All in one.
0: Yes. Yeah, BMO is one of my favorites too. And... The just his stories get more and more like interesting and touching as time goes on.
1: So I, I think overall, what I can say is that the show continues to refine itself. It finds greater footing in, this is when the show goes from being just like really funny to being an actual Renaissance property.
0: Yeah, the little boy energy that we talked about begins to mellow a little bit and we get things that are a lot sort of like we get humor that's like more unsettling, we get things that are actually very frightening. Um, you know, we get we get deeper storytelling. Like, oh, like one last thing, the the murder mystery mansion episode, right? Um, just that one small thing is like They were playing the like murder mystery trick on Finn again. He tried to play it on Jake and they turned it around on him. And when Finn's like freaking out and trying to escape at the end, he sees this very frightening like ghost woman with like green hair and the house they're in kind of comes alive and attacks him. And so after the big reveal, they're all riding away on Lady Rainicorn and Finn's like, Jake, how'd you do that with the, like, green-haired lady and the, the house coming alive? And Jake's like, that didn't happen. And Finn's like, no, it definitely happened. And he's like, no, your stress was getting the best of you. So they're flying away, and Finn's just thinking about it. And he's like, yeah, that one's going in the vault. And then he pauses for a second, and he's like, and it's gone. And you're like, holy fuck. Okay, that is one of the most fucked up things that has ever happened on this show. And it was just so short and casual.
1: The idea of filing away trauma into, like, compartmentalizing it into one's mind.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like, and just, like, he's a 13-year-old boy, and he's just, like, knowingly doing that. And then you think about the life that he's lived and everything that exists in this world, and you wor- you would start to wonder, like, how much stuff must be in the vault, you know?
1: How much trauma has he packed away?
0: Yeah, it's something that they actually explicitly address much later in the show.
1: Well, I can't wait to get to it, but as we <laughs> as it stands, we have talked for a good long while now, and I think
0: yes, we have.
1: Now is the time to say Seasons 3 through 4, click now. Click now this is an advertisement. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Just like finishing with an advertisement um, could definitely be a way to do it. Um, Final messages. Go vote.
0: Yeah. Like voting's good. You should vote. Um, This will be out like just a couple of days before the presidential election. So if you haven't done it already, that's a good thing to do uh, as a citizen of our democracy. Um, in terms of other show-related final messages, Adventure Time, it's still great. Seasons one and two, great. Season three and four, great. Watch them. Watch along. Um, <laughs> if, if you are watching along with us, we will be covering seasons five and six for the next episode. So that's what you should watch next.
1: I do eventually think I stopped watching around episode season seven. So... I am looking, well, okay, or it's been a long time and I just don't remember watching them. That's probably likely, actually. But I am excited to finish the show for the first time with everyone.
0: I had no idea. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, that. You will cry. I know. I know I will. I actually, now that I think about it, I probably haven't seen seasons nine and 10. I probably have seen up to that, though. So not as bad as I originally thought, but I'm excited to get there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So I think that's just about everything uh, for this episode. So uh, as usual, I've been Paige.
1: And I've been Chris.
0: And this has been Animates. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help other people find it. If you would like to interact with us on social media, you can find us at, at @animades on Twitter or Animates Podcast on Facebook. You can also always email us. We're animates at gmail.com with the numeral 8 in the place of the letters A-T. And as always, thank you so much for listening.